Hi everyone, Taylor here. You know, at our podcast, we were wanting to center the perspectives of people who look like us and women, as well as marginalized people who has been historically pushed to the sideline of conversations. So, if you haven't already, we welcome you to engage through our Instagram or Facebook page by leaving a comment, or simply support us by subscribe our podcast from Acast. Apple, Spotify, and Google. It will make a huge differences to increase our visibility and centering the conversations we have from our pod. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, y'all! It's Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. <laughs> and I'm super hyped up because I've just done like a good two hours of thorough cleaning around my house. Uh huh. Uh huh. Why yeah, is that? Like, Why are you in the well, mood? Well, I think it's because like we're having like a housemate. Um, I live with a couple of guys, and uh-huh. they're really friendly. And um, you never picked having, up the like, chores. <laughs> no, 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 no! Come on, I'm the only girl who lives in this household. Oh, that's a bit stereotype. And Are you saying that yeah, only sorry. girls? Don't? I know. No, no, no. It's just like t- you know how there's a stereotype of, st- and they're all straight guys. I live with. of us, you know, girls being cleaner than straight guys. But like my partner is very clean, so I'm mm-hmm, lucky. Mm-hmm. But like also, um, like the guys I live with, they're they're very very um quite they yeah they're they're like. Um, nothing wrong with them, you know. They're one of them is much cleaner than I am. But like, um, <laughs> I have just felt like wanting to clean since like last weekend. Uh-huh. We were cleaning out um my partner's garage, and it was yeah. like super. We both afterwards we were like, oh, this is so therapeutic. Like, yeah. <laughs> obviously, parents will not share this sentiment, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it was really nice to just like clear shit out. Like, I don't know why people only have that term spring cleaning because I I am just doing a thorough like winter clean or whatever mm, this you do it period in time is. Yeah. But also, it's like Friday on 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 a um mid-July Friday uh, in Sydney. And it's really where I am, Helen. It's mm-hmm. very, very sunny. Yeah, it is very sunny today. I think, I don't know where the term spring cleaning comes out. Like, I do a completely clean out almost every end of the school term with my kids. Right. Yeah, right. I, I know that you said that parents were not feeling therapeutic about it. I mean... I would not feel therapeutic about it because every end of the school term, I have to clean out so much shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the kids' rooms. What have you been doing in the last hour or so? I've been just preparing for this podcast. So I've been doing a lot of reading and just. Kept... Well, you've made me. Haven't you? You told me before you were making moi. Oh yeah, I was making. Uh, just preparing the lunch before we start recording. So once we finish recording, I can have some food. So I was cooking uh, mui, which is Chinese term for xi fan congee. Oh, yes. Yeah, so all the Asians out there should know, you know, the type yeah, of totally. rice porridge that we have usually in the morning. Sometimes some cultures have it when you're not feeling so well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, had a, we had it in the, every Saturday right before Chinese school. Yeah. That's the only time that our dad cooks. Oh I my God. put in the rice. Really? Yeah. I don't cooks, remember dad doing that. He cooks that? that meal every week. Oh. Yeah. I remember that he gets up very early. I, I don't know if we probably have mentioned it in our previous pod, that he gets up uh, super early on Saturday morning because it takes so long to cook um, rice into the porridge texture. Really? So How long? At least over an hour, I would say. Okay. I mean, if I you have pressure that. cooker, it might be faster but right, if you're just right. on stove it takes like over an hour or so but we had, had this no um, da tong rice cooker yeah. 
But yeah. you have you you need to have a long time to cook it because you want that consistency. Yeah, that yeah. creamy kind of rice porridge yeah. texture. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And we're talking about savory here. Yeah, savory, like, savory <laughs> con- yeah, congee. Yeah, it's so like comforting. Yeah, and like um, when Helen told me about that just now, I was thinking about how like um, this week I've noticed a deep frustration in me, and it's mm. a new frustration that I've never felt. Well, I have felt in my life, but okay. like it's it's like this um pockets sort of um kind of pinches of amnesia that I'm or like dementia that I'm feeling mm-hmm. uh, because when I like lately I've been when I FaceTime my mum I I FaceTime my mum maybe like twice or three times a week uh-huh. and um, I'm telling her basic stuff like you know I was cleaning the garage with my partner I was like um, this morning I was cleaning out my lounge room and I didn't mm. even know like I could not remember the Mandarin term for garage <laughs> and I could not remember the Mandarin term for for lounge room mm-hmm. and it was like so frustrating and and it kind of makes me realize why um even though I love my mum like um and it's a love that it's like almost so painful because it's so deep mm-hmm. um and I know she's getting older and anyone in their 30s or 40s who does still have their parents do kind of you start to realize that um, the reality sets in that maybe they're not going to live forever. And it's like mm. really traumatizing just to even think about it. So even despite all that, I still sometimes feel like um, like it's a, almost I know it's awful to say this, but it's almost like I feel like it's a bit of a chore to call my mum because like when I do talk to her because she doesn't have. Um, many friends and she doesn't have a like a strong network of people she can talk to I become she becomes very reliant on me to like um, offload all the things that she's been feeling or thinking or doing or whatever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then and whenever I try to talk to her it's like that cause become kind of like for me a heavy burden because I don't remember so many words in Mandarin you know Mm. and it's so like it's so it's such a weight and it shouldn't be a weight on me you know it should be mm-hmm. like I want my conversations with my mother to be like light-hearted and um, and just casual you know but like it's hard when you can't even remember the word like garage or fork mm-hmm. or um, lounge room or like bedroom you know mm-hmm. basic words that become so frustrating. Mm. I think for our listeners who's just newly joined our episode, I just want to insert some quick information. If you don't know, Jesse and I are sisters, so we share the same mum. Yeah. <laughs> I still get some listeners message and asking some questions and not seeing us as siblings. Right, right. <laughs> that's because we have different surnames. That's all right. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the surnames a bit later on this episode, um, or other episodes. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I think migrant families and second or third or subsequent generations kids of migrants would very much relate to this. I wouldn't say challenge; it's the journey. Um, mm. Having grown up speaking different languages to your parents and possibly generating a third culture it's not easy I I guess it's definitely harder for you because you arrived Australia when you were four Mm. whereas I was already 10 so I have Mm. already maintained like a big um, volumes of 
uh, Chinese Mandarin myself.、Mm. Whereas you, your would you consider that your native language is English or Chinese? Oh, it's definitely it's probably Taiwanese. Actually, Taiwanese. Oh yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, that's the first language that I heard my parents、mm-hmm. communicate in, right? Yeah. And then you know, like I've said before to you, Helen,、uh, there are videos of us when I was like three years old、mm-hmm. and I'm speaking fluent Taiwanese. That's right. Yeah. And it's so cute because usually I associate that language with like really old people <laughs> or like you know like people、uh, people in an adv- advanced mature age、mm-hmm. and to see like a little baby like a little toddler speaking、yeah. Taiwanese is so fucking Cute.、Uh-huh. Um, but I said my my English is my third language, so、mm-hmm. I learned Taiwanese first, and then Chinese, and then English.、Mm-hmm. Um, but、uh, obviously, like、um, I feel most comfortable in English because I have、mm-hmm. the most of my vocabulary lies in the language of English. So that's 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 better for you because for me, it still relies on like fifty to fifty in comparison of. Chinese Mandarin compared to English, right, right. which I feel frustrated sometimes because sometimes I couldn't find a specific term in English, but I can I can、right. express it in Chinese, and sometimes、yeah. it happens on the opposite end. Like I can express it in English, but couldn't find the word in Chinese. In Chinese, right,、yeah. right, right. And yeah, yeah. I know as we all age, the bigger environment here. Is it, you speak English, and I was just speaking to the team of、um, Chinese Film Festival last night when we had a Zoom call. We were just talking about because my role will be doing translation interpreting on specific events. Yes, I said that I told them that I still don't feel confident in translating English back to Chinese. If I have time, literally、um, writing it down, I can do it, but verbally. I have a conflictual feeling that I don't. I'm not confident enough to say that I'm saying it correctly.、Mm. Yeah. Whereas we've been here for so long, and speaking English almost on day like on daily basis. And yeah. And you're married to a person who's only <laughs> speaking English. And a lot of information I absorb are English. So、yeah. my English expression is definitely better. So Chinese translating to English is better and. It's a lot more easier for me、mm. compared to the other way around. Yeah. 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 How interesting. Well, speaking of like, I guess what we're talking about language and you know books and stuff.、Mm-hmm. Like, I'm curious to know, Helen. Like, do you can you divide the percentage of literature that you read? Between Chinese and English, is it like seventy percent、oh, English, thirty、okay. percent Chinese? Yeah. This is something so interesting.、Um, the same that I was talking to my friends before as well. If you ask me ten years ago, I would say majority of the literature that I read will be like seventy percent Chinese and thirty percent English. But、mm. in recent years, it will be a other way around. I'll be I'm reading more English materials than Chinese materials. Yeah. 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 So I、yeah. guess that that kind of establish you know my expression of perhaps better English than Chinese. <laughs> right, right. Well, I feel like um, I just want to say that um, my like, and this is kind of related to what I was going to say. So my、mm. favorite writer in the world is Garth Greenwell, or at least for now. And、um, Garth says that like for every writer, you should at least speak an- another language apart、yes. from English, because、mm-hmm. it gives you another way of thinking about the language in which you're using, and it's um. And it's like I think it's brilliant that you can read in two languages. Like often people say, how lucky I am that I know how to speak Mandarin, even if it's like 
to the level of a five-year-old. I, I, <laughs> I can still speak colloquially, you know, mm-hmm. but like I can't read or write. Whereas like Helen, you know how to read or write. And so you have access mm. to like this wealth of knowledge that, mm, that just uh, when I think about the amount of literature out there that is just not, has not ever been translated into English. It really makes you think like when you really broach um, and you step outside the boundaries mm-hmm. in which English kind of constrain the English um, kind of the aluminium foil that is English that wraps around the globe and, and the way in which yeah. English is often just universalized because, you know, Western imperialism is, you know, if you grow up in a country like Australia, it, you start to kind of feel that it is really the center of the universe and it's like mm. the way that you should be thinking about the world. When you do learn another language as a native, um, a, uh, sorry, a native English speaker, your world expands and changes in ways that you can't, it's not just in linguistic. Mm-hmm. It changes the way you think about the world. It changes yes. the way you interact with other people. It changes the way you eat. Like everything, I think if you um, expand your notion of what language can av- be available to you outside of English, it's just like uh, living another life almost. And I think it's really important. I think that's what Garth means when he says like how important it is to um, learn another language as a a native uh, English speaker. So he learned Bulgarian, I believe. Mm-hmm. He spent a few years in Bulgaria. And I mentioned Garth also, Helen, because I've been taking um, his lessons on uh, online. So oh, wow. Garth uh-huh. is one of the teachers uh-huh. um, at the Shipman Agency. So Shipman as in ship, S-H-I-P-M-A-N agency. And the les- the classes are like, um, so I've been taking two of his classes. Um, the first duo of classes was about sex writing um, yep. and they happened like at, at our time 3 a.m sydney oh, time goodness. because you know he he's teaching from like uh, uh kentucky louisville kentucky yeah. and so um and and uh so i actually just end up listening to recordings but um the last two like the the second class i'm taking of his is um a close reading of uh sabbath theater by philip roth and I've never – the only book I've ever read of Philip Roth's is The Dying Animal, which is like a short mm-hmm. novella in which um, the movie Eulogy is based on. And it's a movie with um, Ben Knightley, I think, and Penelope Cruz. And um, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite movies. It's so beautiful. Um, and the book is, like, devastatingly beautiful. Um, and I am so aware that I'm saying this as someone who has publicly said I hate the writing of straight white men. Um, <laughs> but, like – the way in which Garth teaches um, Sabbath theatre, which Garth says it's like one of the best books ever written in English. Um, it really mm. is like making me, like it's teaching me how to be a careful reader and like a more, and when you're a more careful reader, you become a better writer, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, I have been doing that this week. Um, so trying to finish Sabbath theatre and also um, on the, on the, a subject of sex writing i've uh halfway through a book that garth recommended which i would recommend to all readers because it's just such like solid and mm-hmm. um, competent writing from a, a writer called t fleischman um who is a chicago-based writer who melds personal narrative and art criticism in a very poetically um, genre-defying work. So genre-defying in that um, you don't really know what you can't really put it into whether it's like um, a, a novel or like romance. A poetry book. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, it's definitely not romance because you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I just like I don't read Nicholas Sparks. Um, but the book is called Time Is the Thing that a Body Moves Through, uh, and it's 
really beautiful. I'm listening to it through audiobook and um, it's just about like the way in which they they move through New York and different cities around mm-hmm. America and like having sex with a lot of different people who are non-gendered and it's really kind of making me think about the idea of um, the very closeted notion of monogamy and like a single gender and uh, yeah for all of you guys listening you should totally get it it's super short it's mm-hmm. like six six and a half hours on audiobook so I think it's like less than 200 pages well, so you it, yeah. the book is centering like pol- pol- polygamy I can't remember even pronounce the word oh no it's just a kind oh, of a it? book about like power desire gender fluid gender uh-huh. fluidity and like subverting limitations that often we feel like we are uh, limitations that are placed upon us, you know, by the patriarchy, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a lot about sex as well, like okay. uh, really rough, okay. like about fisting and like Ouch. how to like how to like rim someone and like open up an anus. It's so like visceral and it's not it doesn't like it doesn't get me horny in the way that uh-huh. when when I was reading Sabbath Theater, the first half of it, I was so fucking horny. It was so weird, <laughs> like. It was just so weird because, like, this is, like, a 63-year-old guy. It, you know, Sabbath Theater is about Mickey Sabbath, who's, like, 63, mm-hmm. and he's, like, um, just talking about all his sexual affairs. And yet I still get, like, super horny. Well, that's <laughs> a power That's a power of the skill that the writers got to write I think such so. work I think so. yeah. to arouse you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What are you reading this week? I'm still trying to finish uh, Wesley Young's Yellow... Uh, oh, yes. The Source of Yellow Folk. And yeah. at the same, I've got three books that I'm reading uh, at the same time. So The Aosawa's Murder, uh, mm-hmm. the Japanese crime novel, as well as The Mediocre, uh, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male Power. Yeah, so just mm, reading. Really inter- mm. It's quite interesting because I was just uh, looking up critical theory, uh, critical race theory... Uh, earlier mm-hmm. this week, and I'm onto a chapter that's talking about it in mediocre, yeah, yeah, about right, the, right. Um, yeah, it's it's such a big topic. I'm thinking that we can have an episode on it as well. Yeah, the critical yeah, race. Yeah, because theory. I think a lot of yeah, a lot of people hear that term being thrown around. You know, especially in the last twelve months, mm-hmm. um, uh, in the in light of what happened in uh, America. Mm-hmm. Um, Critical race theory, but like a lot of people actually don't know the um, the actual background, the, the history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so we're gonna so dive we will into do that. An, uh, yes, episode on that, and just like finishing off the whole like cultural consumption this mm-hmm. week. Last night I binged on the second season of <laughs> Never binge? Have I Ever, which like is the best thing ever. Like, uh, it's I think I got to like maybe episode three of the second okay. season. Okay. Uh huh. Um, I'm sure all our listeners know it's the um, Mindy Kaling. Yeah, it's a massive production. show. Um, yeah, yeah um, written and directed by I think directed or maybe sometimes only directed by Mindy Kaling, and um, it's about you know this girl Debbie who's a California teenager. Uh, basically typical stuff but like I really love the third episode I, I will wait until Helen watches it okay, before good, good. I yeah, don't talk specifically me. about it but um, there's I think it's the third episode where uh, uh, an actu- an- another uh, Indian American oh yeah I saw that on the trailer class. yeah and it's like the um, <laughs> never have I ever had an Indian friend of me and like it's so resonant for me because uh-huh. I remember whenever like a, a new Asian kid came into our school uh-huh. it was like people compared 
Really? The Asian kid to me. Okay. Yeah. I even remember there was a girl who came in year nine, uh-huh. and then like um. She really did not look like me at all, mm-hmm. but like we had the same haircut. Yeah. And then there was this white guy in my English class who turned to me um, one recess. We were in the library, and he was like, "Hey, you look like Annabelle." Uh huh. Um, and I was like, "Oh, just because we're Asian." <laughs> yeah, I know. <gasps> Jesus Christ, what's with that? It still exists that kind of perception. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just but I do Asian. remember, like. Yeah. Yeah, but I I do I still feel it sometimes when like I'm walking inside a space, I step into a room, and then like there's another Asian, and like um I sometimes I feel like yes, there's sort of um solidarity there, but mm-hmm. it's also like oh, I, do I have to compete with this person now because like all the white people are, are only ever going to see us as like one one oh. individual because you know we're the two minorities uh-huh. kind of thing. So it's really interesting, yeah, like that's that interesting. kind of strange psychological game that you play inside your head because you have that second consciousness that um what does um mm-hmm. w-e-b du bois call it like the second consciousness where you take on the consciousness of white people um because you know how they look at you and you have to be aware about that uh-huh. in order to survive you know yeah um yeah it's really interesting so if you haven't seen it um obviously go and binge on it because it's so great i think i saw the first season like three or four times i was so in love with it and helen and our sister lisa and our brother as well we like even made a tiktok video (laughs) the only tiktok video of the we ever made geriatric millennials yeah um of that of that kind of um instagram dance that and her friend fabiola and eleanor Mm -hmm. who's like really into drama and she's asian she's She's really cool cool. yeah yeah she's so awesome (laughs) um and yeah it's just they do this dance um and put it on instagram live i think or tiktok or whatever (laughs) we don't even know yeah but like i even like looked i even like i sent um you guys the the youtube yeah tutorial of how uh-huh. to do that dance because yeah. it's so cool uh-huh. yeah um i feel like the second the second season is a bit weaker maybe because the stakes are lower oh. i'm not sure uh-huh. but um just to finish off what i've been watching uh-huh. uh, i've also been binging on the secret life of us which i think i've been talking about last week but yeah. honestly it's so good like i just <laughs> i'm so i i love I love, I just love every character, except maybe um, Miranda, who's like uh, a blonde actress. She's really, really dull. I think she's the dullest character in all of um, the entire cast. Mm. But um, honestly, like, uh, if you haven't, if you guys have never heard or have never seen the Se- A Secret Life of Us, I just, I friggin' love it because um, a lot of the way in which... Um, the narrator so it's narrated by um two narrators there's kelly who's played by deborah mailman she's like this she's my favorite character she's like super bubbly and super mm-hmm. positive and so like um optimistic mm-hmm. i love that in her like she's just like kelly is like the friend i would love to have she's just like super bright and like bubbly and she just kind of um marches to her own beat mm-hmm. i love that about her and then there's also evan who's played by um Samuel Johnson, I think. Yeah, and he's like an aspiring writer. And um, so they share a house with um, Alex, who's played by Claudia Carvin. And there's mm-hmm. kind of like um, just like the way in which the show uh, is narrated by Kelly and Evan and the kind of insights that they have about what it means to be like 25 going on 30 mm-hmm. and the kind of all those kind of messy 
things that you deal with, like falling in love, falling out of love, um, trying to find the job that you're passionate about, um, uh, falling in love with your best friend, kind of really universal themes uh, are so well managed. Like mm-hmm. it feels so timeless. Like the only thing that is um, kind of pulls me back to the fact that this show was made in the early noughties is when I see the characters take out like a, a bottle of milk or juice from the fridge uh, the, and, and the then package. you see the label. Yeah, yeah the, the package. packaging, the label yeah. is very much of its time. Like yes. for instance, um, there's one episode where Evan uh, drinks from a OJ bottle and it's like daily juice. Uh-huh. And I don't even think, I remember the, the bottle and the label, but I don't even think daily juice is now sold in supermarkets. But I remember oh, we okay. bought it a lot as kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and Cheerios, not Cheerios, um, Cheerios, um, the cereal, Cheerios, the cereal. No, no, not the cereal. Um, but like the sort of round cheesels, cheesels. Yeah, like they still the sell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. like the packaging. Yeah, like uh, it was like very much of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just it's such a great show. Like you, you seriously have to watch it. It's so good. Uh huh. I think <laughs> the common points of the uh, comedy drama Never Have I Ever and The Secret Life of Us really attracts both of us who are like almost at... Well, I'm definitely a uh, geriatric millennial because I'm in the first class and Mm. towards for people who's over 35 is because you see... You want to reflect on your high school life from Never Have I Ever, all those things that you've probably done or have seen people around you done those crazy yeah. things and yeah. where, and also uh, Secret Life of Us. It doesn't res- resonate to me as much because I got married very early <laughs> and yeah. I dive into <laughs> grey very yeah, early. Yeah, Helen never lived in a shared house. <laughs> yeah, and whereas I guess most of the young people out there are going through similar scenarios, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there is like this, like I've always been very intrigued by um, adolescence and that mm. time between your 15 and your 25 because yeah. that is like such a monumental time mm-hmm. of maturity for yeah. every individual and a lot of like where every small thing is like the, the the grandest most opulent thing that you've ever seen everything is new mm-hmm. and uncomfortable and um i like even though uh, never have i ever is about you know a 15 16 year old i'm still like as a person in her 30s like extremely invested yeah. <laughs> in this little girl because like um you know i was once a little girl and also it's interesting to see in the ways in which like um these teenagers you know they're on tiktok they have phones they're texting each other even when they're in class uh i just i've been thinking about this a lot lately how mm-hmm. Um, I'm a generation removed from these individuals and yet it feels as though it's really not any easier to be a teenage girl. It will infinitely, there will always be infinite ways in which we can, we will struggle to find our place as women because it, it still continues to be infinitely impossible to be accepted as a, as a person in a female body um, in a way that it's not for men. Like, and... Uh, I know that's a grand statement, but um, mm-hmm. it's a grand statement only for people who are not, uh, who do not benefit from the patriarchy. You know, I think if if you're a person living in a female body, um, you will agree with me wholeheartedly 
that um, yeah. despite mm. the monumental changes in which the last 60 years of mm. feminism has brought to women, um, you know, with the pill and mm. more rights and, all, you know, uh, an abundance of changes in legislation, despite all that, you look at um, social media, you look at the plastic surgery um, industry, you look at... Um, the way like technology and the and the and the ways in you look at all of those things and the makeup industry and you realize that um it's not really any easier to be a woman it's just like new ways in which we find ways to be anxious about our bodies you know like i look at your daughter who's 8 7 or 8 years old right and i'm terrified of the world she is growing up in honestly terrified that's a perfect entry for the topic that we'll be talking about it right after the break. The break, yes. So, well, actually, Jesse came up with the idea of talking about the topic girlhood this week because she came across with a book by, what's the author's Melissa name? Melissa Feebos. Feebos, yes. So Melissa Feebos has uh, recently, well, uh, I think it was March or April, released uh, published a book called girlhood so that's mm. what we'll be talking about uh, right after this break yep we'll be right back so we're back and as you guys know i'm obsessed with the um app autumn a-u-d-m which reads out articles you know from the new yorker the atlantic long form journalism is my favorite thing to do on mm-hmm. my uh bose headset while i walk <laughs> every day and so like uh, this um i came across one this week um by katie waldman and and she reviews uh melissa fabos's third book called girlhood and it's about how for many women growing up involves mm-hmm. a transformation from subject to object mm-hmm And um, in her new book, Melissa asks whether we can reverse that kind of tragic inevitability, I suppose, you know. Mm. Um, And it was a really good article and it made me go out and buy this book. Um, It still hasn't arrived in my my hands yet. Um, But Melissa Fabos, her her second book was quite... um, was quite big it was called um abandon me and uh i haven't actually read it but i think it's also a, like a feminist book about female bodies or mm-hmm. you know our sexuality and all that and like it got me kind of thinking about what i was just like saying helen like how um there are still like it's almost impossible to feel safe mm-hmm. and um liberated um intellectually and physically in a female body yeah yeah I think when you mentioned uh, that you want to talk about the t- uh, on the subject of girlhood, I started looking up and researching this topic, and I found there's actually a French film called Girlhood. I think it's based on uh, the French African girls growing up in the 90s. I haven't actually watched the film, and there were a couple of articles uh, writing the reviews about Melissa Feeble's book. Um, one, uh, two of them really intriguing was that um, firstly the one from Independent that she 
mentioned, I'm going to quote here. She said that writing has always been a space where I can create a diorama of my lived experience. So I create a set of pieces and reenact those moments, filling them with awareness and agency that I didn't have at the time. The result is that adolescent memories being sped at by an older boy at her bus stop, being followed into a bathroom by a 25-year-old man when she was 12, rushing to answer the home phone in case it was her former BFF calling again to tell her she's a slut, poses an alarming Im- immediacy. I wanted to really go back and build that diorama and try to find the aspects of those experiences that I wasn't comfortable looking at it, she says. And finally, she also mentioned, so in many cases, writing them down like that was the first time I'd had ever looked at them. And in some cases, the first time I even experienced it emotionally because when that stuff was happening, I was shut down to one degree or another. Just apology to all the listeners there because I kind of chuckle because Jessie's <laughs> currently running out to get her her laundries back into the house because it's raining at her place. I wasn't chuckling and I wasn't laughing at what uh, what was in the article. And I totally feel... And re- I totally f- felt resonated with what she had said because it's the same when we were watching Kim Jong-un born in 1982. At the age when you're transforming, a transformation of from a child into like a womanhood and when all the physical appearances are coming out and you know there's differences between you and the child regardless of having breast or, you know, getting uh, hair at the places that you never know. And you're not getting education about it. You feel strange. And sometimes, especially incidents that is related to sexual perimeters, I think when your body has already emerged into an age but your mental status and your soul has not been prepared for it and the things that's coming to you from the bigger society really just knocks you out and you have no idea what was happening just what just like what melissa has said when she was interviewed by in the independent media um you know when those things are happening you don't know what was happening and now as an adult you reflect of those incidents and it kind of bring back the traumas it kind of re-traumatize you again yeah yeah so i'm back <laughs> you're back in your room <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i heard all that by the way because i talked to helen on my headphones mm. um yeah it's that that is the way in which we process things like um uh, the we we when we're young, we don't have the language. We don't mm-hmm. have the capacity intellectually, psychologically, spiritually to figure out what's going on when things happen to us for the first time because we don't have the repertoire or the vocabulary, mm-hmm. you know, to describe it. And so it's only when we become adults do we, you know, we, we learn more about the world, we read more stories, 
we find out about the infinite possibilities of beingness that there exists out there that we start to put all those new knowledge into our memories Mm -hmm. and we start to look back and figure out this is really what happened or you know try and make sense of uh, things that really did not make sense and I think that's what is part of the reason why girlhood is so like um, it's such a important time in a person's life um, Mm. to really think about um, how you were raised and like I've been thinking about this because I've been emailing a lot of friends during the pandemic and like um, long emails Mm -hmm. you know very beautiful long emails and kind of hearing the ways in which they have told me that having a daughter is like the most amazing experience in their Mm -hmm. lives amazing not just like positively but also eye-opening because they're seeing a lot of ways in which like they were also um objectified Mm -hmm. i guess and treated a certain way just because um their child came out of their body with in a certain biology yeah i think was it one of our australian journalists was it Tracy Grimshaw or someone else, she mentioned uh, one of her opinion articles as well. I'm not quite sure if it's Tracy anyway, but just uh, a female journalist that she said that one day she was traveling with her daughter who was 12 years old and Mm. she noticed that some old man was staring at her daughter and made Mm. her extremely uncomfortable and made her daughter extremely Mm. uncomfortable as well. Mm. At that point, she just realised, wow, this society is so fucked because just because you are in a body that is transitioning to uh, unfortunately how the whole society being objectified as a sex object. You know, men in public arenas just openly staring directly a child yeah. she's still a child can i yeah can i say something yeah I, i've got to say something yeah uh because it's bringing up a memory that i have i think when i was like nine i think i was nine years mm-hmm. old um my mom and i went to the local mechanic to get our uh, family car the toyota tarago mm. um fixed mm-hmm. like a um, basic maintenance yes. and um this dude was like in his 40s i'd say you know 40s um, guy and like um, I remember he looked at me and then he said oh you're a very pretty girl like you're very pretty mm-hmm. and it made me so uncomfortable do you know what I did? What did you do? I started picking my nose <laughs> it was because like I, a, I was just I was it like a defense mechanism to make yourself look yeah. <laughs> I started strange. picking my nose because I wanted to look like I wanted to make myself disgusting and repellent Ugh. because I uh, because the because he told he because he said oh you're very pretty um it made me feel very uncomfortable because like it felt as though like I didn't know it back then mm-hmm. but it was like him hitting on me mm-hmm. you know like inappropriately yeah. and like it was predatory and it was inappropriate and I couldn't processor mm-hmm. because my mum didn't understand it because she my mum doesn't understand English mm-hmm. and so like um she um I don't think she knew what the guy said but I just like kind of casually started picking my nose and turned around and kind of walked away but I just like remember mm-hmm. feeling like like very much like I needed immediately as a as a way to keep myself safe, mm-hmm. I needed to make myself abhorrent wow. to this to this middle aged guy. Uh-huh. You need to write this down. 
That could be another piece, honestly. Um, on to what you just mentioned about、uh, mothers have daughters.、Uh, I think I probably have mentioned it before by saying that ever since I had、uh, my daughter, the second child, that it really expanded my horizon of seeing a lot of things、mm-hmm. through her lens, even though she's still、yeah. a child of an eight year like、yeah. in the eight year old body. body. But she's already in the very early stage. She's already picking up the differences between male and female. Yes, and she's already、yes. start picking up that her preferences of everything given to her by female. As in, what I'm saying is that she prefers. She's already know that the world is dominated by male. That's why、yeah. she her preferences of say doctors, dentists. Teachers or whoever she encounters through、yeah. her life, she prefers female,、yeah. and she prefers female writers、uh, and people of colors.、Yeah. Their books、uh, probably、yeah. influenced by me as well. But at the same time,、yeah. she's very self-conscious about her choices of、right. the media that she consumes as well. If it's not、right. female lead, she doesn't really、yeah. want to、uh, touch it. Or if it's not female lead. If it's malely, she will question everything about it. Yeah, exactly. So it expanded my horizon of seeing it through her lens, but also at the same time, I reflect back on my own childhood, being a girl. The transformative period that I experienced through is probably from year three that I start feeling seeing my peers, especially female. Uh, peers, uh, the changes in their bodies and the change of how the rest of the society sees us. So, talking、wow. about biological change, just what you've mentioned. Onto what Feebles has also mentioned、uh, in the article from Independence, she said that she's actually relieved in aging, which is the same for me. I totally feel the same. She said.、Yeah. I'm quoting、yeah. here. She said, "My freedom just increased with every birthday." She says, "The less society、yeah. sees me as a running to achieve this completely unattainable ideal, the less I feel the conditioned pressure to achieve it." I really looking for. I'm really looking forward to being an old lady who gives zero fucks about everything. <laughs> that's totally me.、Um, That's because that's how the society is formed as well. The society's obsession、yeah. about female usefulness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything that a female body needs to attend, not just the physical appearance, but at the same time, we need to do a lot of shit、um, for the society, even so that we're not in power. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes look at like、um, older Asian women, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna be like that one day, <laughs> just because I see so few older Asian women in public.、Mm. So I don't have any like visible or visual examples, you know,、mm-hmm. to to kind of imagine an older version of myself.、Mm. Um, I feel like. There is this like obsession, especially with women looking a certain part,、mm-hmm. and I think what Feebos is saying about like the freedom in which every birthday brings is like,、um, you know, all I think about when I think about with female aging is like the stuff that I've read about in public has always been like, oh, you feel like invisible as an old woman, you know.、Mm-hmm. I maybe what Feebos is saying is like there's the freedom that she speaks about is like feeling like being liberated. By a lot of the expectations 
are thrust upon young women mm-hmm. to appear a certain way and to behave a certain way. And I, when she says, you know, I can't, or was it you who just said, like, I can't wait to be an older person mm-hmm. and just say whatever I, I want to say? Yeah. It reminds me of a friend of mine, a guy, a straight white guy who I remember years ago was saying to me like he can't wait until he's like an old man because he would just like it's the same thing like say whatever he wants to say mm-hmm. and it's almost like we um give immunity to older people because mm. we're like oh you know we're, we're a bit patronizing to them and say you know if they say something on pc we'll kind of pat them on the back and say oh yeah yeah you're just old and feet you know senile and you know, ha-ha, we'll just laugh about what you just said because um, they can get away with it or whatever. But, yeah, it's it's the relationship which we have with um, a person's age and our own relationship with that relationship that mm-hmm. society, you know, thrusts upon us. Mm. I think coming back to me, I'm just going to rephrase the sense of how Phoebe is talking about in ageing. To me... It, I'm not particularly worried about the older that I get and I give zero fucks about anything. I think it's Mm -hmm. more like the experience that we have throughout the decades as a woman that you finally Mm -hmm. just had enough that you just need to express it. And in a sense, it's educational for younger generations as well. If we don't say it Mm -hmm. now, we don't raise the issues or the problems now, it's just going to repeat mm. it in every generation. And yeah, I think yeah. it's not so much uh, with the age because I know that my daughter, she's only eight and she says things that she wants to say and it's, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with age. Yeah. 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 And when I was asking her about identification as a girl, I was yeah. like, I was looking up, I was comparing how the society have established in the fields of literature, whether or not they, uh, which uh, the books for puberty, uh, for there's, there are mm. books specifically for boys and specifically for girls. I, w- I just want to do a comparison differences. And then she saw what I was doing on my laptop and she asked, oh, what what's that word? Start with uh, P. And I told her puberty. I was explaining it to her. And obviously, like, she gave me this very perplexed expression. She doesn't really understand it in the biological sense. So she hasn't picked up all those biological differences, but she's already understanding the social structure of how we see boys' and girls' differences. So it it goes back to sometimes I debate with uh, my friends. They say that, oh, the society is like the society it is now. It's not because the patriarchy, because patriarchy is a very so it's a socially constructed term. They all, yeah. some of my friends regard that it's a biological based rather than socially constructed, which I debate with them. I know there's biological differences, but patriarchy is established through power and very much so yeah. socially constructed. Yeah, it's a human created form. It's not it's sort of natural. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I cannot yeah. agree more. Um, let's talk about consumerism of girlhood. When we were growing yeah. up, what kind of consumptions that the capitalism has deeply ingrained into girls to kind of constrain girls and later women to follow the norms of the society? I want to start with the magazines. 
I think at magazines and there's a term that I saw from Catherine Disrocco's uh, paper from University of Sydney, who's the chair of gender and culture. She mentioned the term Beatlemania in the seventies. Yeah. yeah, did you had the、uh, period where that you were just like fat? Is it called fangirl culture? Do we still call? It? Yeah, we still call it fangirl culture.、Yeah. I don't know if it's called a fangirl culture. Yeah, so that was.、Uh, did I have? Did I? Was I obsessed? Were you?、Band? Were you?、Um, I think we were pretty much into Backstreet Boys, which is <laughs> coming back now. Yeah. But like I, I was never like well, I know El Helen was obsessed with Asia. Yeah, I was obsessed with Asia. I think I, yeah, I don't think because I, I never really liked music、uh-huh. growing up. I think um, the only music I listened to it was my music consumption as a、mm. teenager. As a child, it was like、mm-hmm. zero. Like honestly, as a child, it was zero. Like I guess we just listened to mum and dad's like sixties records, you know, sixties、yeah. tunes, you know, like um. Are you going San Francisco or some stuff like like just like popular tunes from the sixties? And then like、um, I think I only started listening to tunes in high school, and it was like Kelly Clarkson, Avril Lavigne,、mm-hmm. Britney Spears.、Um, I was never into like. And then I think my most obsessed period was in high school was probably Dashboard Confessional.、Um, uh, that was about it, and maybe like Panic at the Disco, maybe, but like. I was never obsessed with musicians.、Mm. Like I just think that、uh, male musicians are like the grimiest parasites、mm. in the world. Like I just I'm not into male musicians at all. They're like,、Ugh. I just cringe when I think of male musicians. Their、so, their ego is like the size of Mars. Actually, is Mars big? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway,、um, I I think I was more obsessed with actors. Um, yeah, I was obsessed with Elijah Wood and.、Um, oh really? From which movie? The Hobbit. Oh, because he has such a feminine face. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I like feminine guys. Anyway,、um, uh-huh. and I was obsessed with Josh Hartnett, who's like the <laughs> not feminine at all. But、um, I, I was more obsessed with like、um, because I, I think I've always been more into movies than music, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I really like like was more fangirling movie stars than like musicians. Uh huh.、Um, I think it was interesting in the sense that a lot of studies, when they're talking about girlhood, they bring out the consumerism of young or teenage girls, of the obsession about pop culture,、um, mm. and specifically、uh, when we were teenagers. Like you said, I followed、uh, Backstreet Boys and a couple of the Chinese celebrities. I don't know whether and Beatlemania back in the seventies. Was a huge, like a huge. Would I wouldn't I don't know if it's a movement because I didn't grow up in the seventies,、mm. but a lot of people say that while studying the culture of girls, it seems like、um, the academics put a lot of focus onto how girls is attached to this idea of romance, as in their identification、wow. is always been attached to. That you need to be having a romance relationship or a desire、yeah. of having a romance relationship with a cis male.、Right. We see that from a lot of constructions, from very early on, like fairy tales,、yeah. Disney movies. Yeah,、uh, it's only been recently changed in the past ten years that we're slowly moving out from that narrative、mm. of a girl needs to be or a woman needs to be attached. To to a male character through romance interaction. Yeah.
Well, we're seeing more characteristics of a girl、uh, or a woman, a female character, rather than the attachment through the romance narrative. Right. It's always、um, they say that、um, Cinderella from very early on the childhood stories that parents give to their daughters are usually something that is very attached to a romance setting. Yeah. Yeah, but I still find that it exists today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I, I know. I don't see that changing at all. Well, it is changing in in Disney and Pixar. That's what I'm feeling.、Oh, in the、that? in in the younger、um, reading,、hmm. I I don't know. It depends. It really depends on the choices of individual parents. But at least that the materials that I'm choosing for my kids are not as compared to what I was growing up. Is very different to what I see. Yeah,、seen. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean.、Um, just because I'm thinking about like Wish Dragon, where there's a romantic oh yeah subplot there,、uh-huh, and then、true. there's like with Frozen, there's a romantic subplot there. It's so funny. Like, I remember a few years ago, I I still remember distinctly for for a solid two years. I remember、um, thinking、mm-hmm. that、um, as a cis straight girl woman, sorry,、mm-hmm. as a cis straight woman,、um, it is a failure of mine to. Romantically attach myself to a man because I am falling for in a trap. I guess、mm-hmm. the trap that that women have been falling into since the birth of time. I guess, and、yeah. that inevitably because I am the product, I have come into this planet onto this planet after one、um, hundred generate two thousand generations of、um, women who have suffered、um, lives. At the hands of men,、um, because we、mm-hmm. have, you know, chosen a life where we、um, desire, you know, the the a male body. It's like a failure of mine because、um, I I think that romance and the idea of romance and the the sort of excitement in finding a romantic、um, relationship in your life has been and continues to be framed. By society, as something that every single person, every single woman, especially, should find complete fulfillment in, and it's something that I just completely think I I, I just completely object to that.、Mm-hmm. And do you know what I'm talking about? I think it's. Do you feel com- conflicted? Is that what you mean? Well, I don't. No, no, no. I don't anymore. I don't anymore. I think. Oh,、um, you don't anymore. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah I I feel I, I am. Beginning to accept that perhaps desire is not something that is entirely appropriated by、um, capitalism.、Mm-hmm. I feel a bit more comfortable with that statement mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I used to think that my desires are all completely appropriated and curated by the capitalistic system.、Um, but but I don't know. I, I just I. I'm thinking about a line that Garth Greenwell said in his lectures, like、um, desire is not something we choose.、Mm-hmm. But it's but but I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if I agree with that statement completely. I feel like actually often my desires、um, have been actually thrust upon me by other people. Okay. Yeah. I think. Well, I think it's hard to find a balance because we as humans. We see our values through other people's lens, and how we perceive ourselves is very largely. Sorry, I'm just losing my words here because my dog's like scratching the floor. 
our, our perception of ourselves is largely influenced by external factors. Mm. And that's what happened with girls and women as well. I'm just going to slightly pull back on to our main topic. Yeah, of course. Go as ahead. in how, how we scale our own personal value yeah. is depending on what the society has constructed and the the like the standard of the things that you're supposed to have as a person or as a girl as a woman to define that value yeah precisely, precisely yeah and 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 desire in the sense of romance it's um it's hard to say i think because i know people out there who's fine just living by themselves and they're happy as well they don't really have to have intimacy they don't have desires of being with someone Mm. at the moment but how the society is telling us well at, at least this is what I perceive or my experience of life so far is that oh, if you don't have someone with you you're going to grow all lonely I think the term yeah. lonely is very harshly thrust upon female particularly female yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if that kind of construction is used to threaten females in uh, in order to put females into uh, heterosexual relationships. relationships. Yeah, exactly. exactly, where they will inevitably be, have less power, I have to say. Yeah, less power and also, again, serving the ideal patriarchy because most yeah, sexual... Exactly. Re- uh, sorry, most heterosexual relationships, there's, um, there's kind of like an imbalanced power. So yeah, absolutely. So I guess that's a rhetoric. The th- yeah. yeah, and the thing is, um, the guy can't help it. The male in the relationship cannot help him like he mm-hmm. cannot deny or he cannot um what has happened in history like he just happened to be born in a male body but like mm-hmm. um he can't kind of like um remove himself from the privilege remove himself from the from the entitlement in which mm-hmm. entitlement that comes from being in that male body you know a certain entitlement that has been constructed for you know two more than for like since the beginning of time basically you know like mm. um he can't help all that like it's not his fault and yet w- the only thing he can do is like be aware of it i guess because if he's aware of it then he can behave in a more sensitive way mm-hmm. i think you know yeah yeah we're gonna take a break um because i'm gonna take my clothes out because the sun has come out Oh really? Now. It's just so, yeah. hitting the storms hitting my direction now. I can oh, hear okay. the thunders. How funny! Yeah. It's travelled north. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, let let's take a let's break. Let's take a break. And we'll be right back to continue our talk about girlhood. Hey guys, so we're back. Um, so this conversation about girlhood is really interesting, and it's making me think about like how this time in my life will always be something that I keep thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, because it's every woman has gone through girlhood and yes. it's such a distinct and unique um, thing that we all experience. And I think there's always a, an element of uh, like um, an element of oppression that one feels mm-hmm. that you kind of just like you grow up as a girl you feel all these things because you experience the you know the world through a female body mm-hmm. through being objectified and oppressed and then that kind of just kind of that oppression kind of just shifts throughout adulthood as a woman 
you know, yeah, it's and it's always there. It's always there in some way. Perhaps that's what Melissa Feeboss is talking like. How as an older woman, yes, you are oppressed, um, um, but it's different. It's you know um, because there is. I know this is awful, but perhaps there are less eyes on you, and so you don't feel like you have to perform. Mm-hmm. That could be the sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna.、Uh Wrap up this topic by giving out or share. Sorry, by sharing Catherine Drasko's、um, her essay on studies of girl culture.、Mm. Um, she in her paper that she spoke,、uh, she mentioned about the studies of girl culture from very ni- early nineteen fifties、uh, to contemporary time. One of the quotes says that most significantly in discussion of embodiment and bodily discipline, studies of girls' eating disorders and sexual disciplinization are still prevalent, as are approaches that consider femininity more generally as a narrative or ideological containment.、Mm. So it seems like the study of girl culture and also girlhood always comes down to the disciplines of our own bodies. The sexual disciplinization, what she just mentioned,、uh, the discipline, the societies of norms to contain、uh, girls within the certain expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was a really good quote. Yeah, I, I. It reminds me of a great line in、um, Deborah Levy, my other favorite writer.、Um, in her second book on her trilogy, The Cost of Living.、Mm-hmm. She kind of has this paragraph where she talks about all the ways in which women are oppressed and repressed, and、yes. um, she and then she says at the end of the paragraph she says, "Wow, women must have so much. We have we must be so powerful innately <laughs> that like men have been trying for centuries to try and like find ways to、um, actively repress us. Like that just means like we must be so like we must have so much power." For them to be so scared of us,、mm-hmm. for them to like f- legalize and legislate all these ways in which to push us down,、yeah. and I find that like observation so thrilling.、Mm-hmm. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, we can make babe. We we they must be so men must be so threatened by the fact that we can rec- actually create another life. I think that's very threatening for them. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Biologically, sense insane、yeah. of that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so that's wrapped up that topic, and and Helen's going to give a great shout out、yeah. to a musical artist. Yeah, so I'm going to give a shout out. I came across、uh, with this Asian American singer slash rapper.、Um, her, I, I assume it's her like musician code name.、Uh, her name's Jackie Fay. Uh, she's a Asian American, born in born and raised in Dallas.、Um, she's actually Chinese Korean Texian, and oh wow, I love that. Know, like、that's、third culture、mix. kid, yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. Also, shout out to Dallas. That's a great city.、Mm. She 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 cultivated her love of music in Dirty South. That's、uh, what she said on the website.、Um, oh. Surrounded by musical influence of Erica Budo, Three Six Mafia, Outkast, and many more. After winning first place in 2016 Asian Pacific American Student Assembly Talent Competition. Oh, that's a long name. Um, she is fueled to take her passion in music to another level. 
Um, she's a data si- uh, engineer by day, and she manages <laughs> to gain traction through various performance for culture organizations. She's absolutely tough and confident. Jackie is ready to take the male-dominated industry to make a statement. I've actually listened to a couple of her clips through her um, Instagram page, and mm. it's really good. And one of her latest uh, piece that she collaborated with another uh, male Asian rapper, <laughs> they have Asian bitches in their <laughs> lyrics. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Can we hear some of it? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's a shout out for Jackie Faye and good on you for Asian representation in you know music and rapping industry i'm not familiar oh, with rap, rap but it's so, so much cool. better in the yeah. u.s yeah like everything so. else um everything else is worse in the u.s and but ev- alternatively everything else is better <laughs> <in the US. laughs> yeah contradiction. So, um, totally yeah go and listen um helen Walsh. We'll yeah link, or play um, the music Jackie's, towards the um, end of our episode yeah and we'll link her um deets on our website yeah. um and also our show notes yeah go and check her out yeah. Thanks for listening this week, guys. Yeah. So that's the end of our episode today. Uh, remember to subscribe our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you have enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and send us your feedbacks on any topics that you would like us to explore. Uh, you can see our updates on Instagram accounts and make sure that you share and extend it to extend the visibility of our podcast, which will help us to continue the intersectionality of the podcast industry. So we'll chat to you yeah. next time. Stay safe, guys. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. You stole my TV. You was mad. You was trying to see me. But I ain't fucking with some snitch. Bum bitch. Google who kicked that she called the institution. I'm gonna walk that talk like a boss bitch. Big money in my pocket.